Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your hosts, Sam Foote and Anne Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Office 365 focused IT security professionals. Each episode, we talk about a specific topic in the space. This week, it's episode 15 of season three. We're going to have a talk around Azure API management, a platform to manage and secure and publish um, your on-premise and cloud APIs. Hey, Alan, uh, how are you this week? Hey, Sam, I'm not doing too bad. Um, five episodes in, left even. Yeah, five in the head. Uh, well, yeah, we're we're on episode fifteen, 15 in, in this yeah. season. It does kind of feel like it should be episode five. To be fair, the um the sort of uh, speed at which we're getting through this um this season is 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 pretty um pretty insane, isn't it? It's just, um, it's just flying by. It just it, it is. Just doesn't yeah. feel like we've done fifteen at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's because it's part of our you know uh, week to week, isn't it? Right. It's just. It's just, you know, it's just sort of second nature now at this point, isn't it? So um, how's your uh, first week of being an MVP? Um, anything changed? Uh, <laughs> nothing. Uh, yes, quite a bit's changed. So quite a lot from the MVP side that I can't talk about, but um, definitely a lot more involvement with Microsoft now. Definitely, yeah, yeah it's opening up and that. And um, next week is the um, MVP Summit. Uh, unfortunately, I can't make it over there, but um but maybe next year yeah no that's it's yeah it's a it's a it's an amazing like we spoke about last week it's an amazing achievement and um it just really sort of you know solidifies your your should i call it can i call it passion for microsoft <laughs> products yeah. and solutions <laughs> it sounds a bit <laughs> but no but i think it is just you know a testament to you know your contribution to the community so yeah it's it's unbelievable um Okay, so yeah, this week is um, API management. Um, I'm going to sort of uh, lead on this, but Alan does have some uh, good knowledge on API management. Uh, he's you've used it in the past, haven't you, Alan? Uh, for at uh, least yes, I've I've done it myself without any l learning on the go. I think is the is the best <laughs> way to put that with no uh, prior knowledge of APIs, let alone um, <laughs> well, properly proper APIs, probably. Um, <laughs> And uh, get my way through it, yes, um, and seeing what value there was from my perspective. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not going to just dive in because Alan makes a good point there about you know um, sort of requisite knowledge of you know um, APIs and being a developer. Um, I'm, I am going to sort of lay the groundwork for that, hopefully, so that even if you're not a developer, um, you know um, what what we talk about today could hopefully. Um, add some value to you in terms of, you know, what the solution is and, and what, what value it can bring. So I'll try my best. <laughs> okay, then. So can you give, Sam, can you give us, a, you know, an overview of, of Azure API Manager? Okay, so I, I wanted to just start with just a APIs 101 for people that, you know, maybe don't even know what the acronym stands for. Um, but um application programming interfaces um is is a way for different different systems to basically communicate with one another so let's say that um sorry application programming interfaces i completely screwed up the, <laughs> the thing to start <laughs> with um so let's say alan and i are two separate um computer systems and we wish to communicate with each other now alan and i might be written in two different languages <laughs> we're two separate you know um, entities um and what apis strive to do um is to have a sort of a common communication protocol that we can um we can leverage um together so if um alan speaks english and i speak french um, we can use an API to to, to sort of bridge that um, th those two languages um, together. Um, I've used you know sort of like um, uh, spoken language there instead of like programming you know languages, uh, but that as a translation and a sort of contractual layer between us, um, that's that's what APIs provide. So what what we what we both do is as let's say I'm consuming data from Alan's system. Alan will um, publish uh, an API 
and a specification of that API. And then I, as the consumer, then write my application around that specification. And then I know how Alan is going to send data to me and I can expect it in that format every time. And then there's there's things uh, like versioning with APIs, um, which allows Alan to to upgrade um, how he what he you know communicates and how he communicates it to me, and I can start to consume uh, those new versions um, uh, as those updates are made. Um, APIs are used everywhere; they are um, ubiquitous in computing. They have been around for. As long as I've, you know, uh, been in technology, um, and and probably, arguably, one of the most um, uh, popular um, API specifications is is a REST API. Um, so a, a REST API is a is a is a sort of a a, a, a dialect of of API um, uh, schemas. So. Um, you're, you're effectively, um, it's just the way that we structure the communication between us. Um, and so, so if, if Alan is a REST API and I can consume a REST API, then, um, simply we've got a better chance of being able to talk to each other, you know, if we, if we both support uh, REST APIs, um, and then what is actually communicated over that API can be many different file formats. So you might have heard of things like JSON or XML being shared via um, APIs. They are um, sort of um, um, tr translation mechanisms. So you can you can send data in JSON or XML format, and then I can read it and understand it the other side in a structured way. Um, I'm not going to go into into that, but but effectively we produce a contract between us via an API and we send data over it and then we can, and then we can communicate and collaborate with each other. Um, APIs aren't just that it's not just APIs, you know, for, for, for web interactions like rest APIs. Um, there are uh, programming interfaces at all different levels of computing. So like, um, internal system calls inside of operating systems, um, and there's various different levels and, and different um, APIs dependent on, you know, uh, the use case for them um, as well. But API uh, management is really focused on uh, web um, APIs, uh, mainly REST and also, I'm going to say this, more legacy um, SOAP um, you know, APIs. And I'll, I'll talk about that a, a little bit uh, in a bit more depth um, further on. But... But what, what's what's happened is is that um, I'll use the example of larger organisations because that highlights the the the, um, the the friction that can occur with a, the, with management of APIs and why a solution like API management actually exists. Okay, so what we've got is we've got various different let's call them teams inside of our organisation. You know, you might have a team that's dedicated to your SaaS product. You might have a team dedicated to your um, back office and um, your, you know, um, finance functions. Um, and those technology teams may be building, you know, APIs to collaborate across the organization. So what can happen is, is like a lot of building can be, uh, can be undertaken of APIs. And then you can get into a stage where, you know, publishing them, uh, consuming them, documenting them, and ultimately securing them as well um, can become, um, you could fall behind in any of those areas um, or or it, it can become complex to have a sort of a, an agreed um, standard or a way to sort of um, uh, collect those in for, for simpler consumption. Um, because you might have, you know, Alan building his REST API, and then you might have me building, maybe I've I've got a different um, technology background, and I'm building um, SOAP APIs, because that's what I uh, potentially know. Maybe I'm limited by that technolo the technology that I've got access to as well. Um, so what um, API management uh, can do is it can effectively put a layer in front of um, all of those APIs for you. 
And now um, what we'll talk about is, is a lot is API gateways and brokering API connections. And, and effectively what we're saying is something like API management would sit in front of these APIs. When you want to consume those APIs, you would first pass through API management to get to those, um, those sort of um, end API systems. There's some really good functionality in what it could do, and I'll take you through that. But essentially, as you as you connect through API management, um, it can do a lot of the translation and other various different features on top of it. Um, so, and I'll go through some scenarios. Um, I'll go through some scenarios now. So, um, imagine if um, yeah, you've got a bunch of backend systems that you've built and APIs. And you've got a diverse and sort of complex landscape there. Um, you know, different languages, different um, API structures, schemas, even dialects and file formats. Um, you know, um, or, uh, orchestrating how you document that and consume that within your organization can be uh, complex. Um, if you need to expose, let's say you need to expose some of those APIs securely to third parties whether that be in a sort of a, a private, you know, a B2B scenario, maybe with a, um, a, a, a sister company or, or something like that, or maybe a trusted third party um, supplier or partner that you've got, or maybe you're even wanting to share those APIs with the public potentially, you know, maybe that's part of your offering um, and part of your business model. So securely exposing those APIs to, um, third parties um, can, if done incorrectly, you know, um, in, reduce your security posture. Um, so, so having a layer in front of that that is fully managed for you could be advantageous. Um, and I think as well, the time to 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 publish those APIs is ultimately important as well. So when we're talking about um, internal discovery well, internal and external discovery, really, and consumption, you really want to accelerate that because it's, it's you know, um, Alan writes a new API endpoint and the amount of time it takes somebody to consume that API endpoint is really important, you know, from a business and efficiency standpoint. Um, some other sort of um, scenarios you can think about is maybe you've got legacy APIs and legacy assets. Maybe there's not business justification and reasoning for rewriting that. You know, a lot of um, a lot of uh, technical um, stakeholders may wish to may wish to um, rewrite APIs and translate them into maybe newer protocols. Um, API management can help you to transform those APIs into a different format for consumption. Um, and I think as well. Um, understanding that APIs are now what we classify as multi-channel. Um, APIs are consumed, um, set very similar or same APIs are consumed by different parties in different ways. So you may wish to transform. So let's say you've got a um, uh, an API catalog of 100 API endpoints, you might only want to expose 50 of those to a specific set of um, uh, uh, people and to another set of people, you might want to expose the other 50%, potentially all the whole of them, right? So also having um, a layer in front of it that allows you to uh, build documentation and API, what we call products, um, and, and, and have flexibility in that is, is really powerful. Wow, that's, that's loads of information there. So yeah, just to kind of briefly yeah, recap, hopefully, um, APIs, um, probably everyone has actually probably heard of these because they may be using Microsoft Graph to, to access or to automate some of their processes. Um, and in essence, if people, if, if some of the listeners are using PowerShell for that sort of kind of stuff, they're calling APIs to do those actions in effect um, from the modules. So, you know, APIs are in our day-to-day -day lives, whether we know about it or not. Yeah, it's probably um, worth just shouting out, you know, the graph API, right? Because a lot of people that have had any interaction with 365 or Azure 
chances are you may have heard or even consumed the graph API, like you say, even directly or indirectly via, you know, potentially PowerShell or um, some other uh, CLI um, that, that you've been using. Yeah, or authorizing applications to access those permissions, OAuth requests, you know, that's access to potentially graph permissions and things like that. Yeah. Um, so you got that. Um, and then you're talking about API Manager kind of being at the front of, you know, um, multiple APIs that may be of different languages or different standards, I should say, probably, and able to potentially standardize some of it uh, where needed and potentially put some protection and help consume or specify who, which users may or may or may or may not be able to consume which types of which APIs that are part of that deployment. Is that fair? Yeah, I, th I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Adding that layer in front of them. Um, but without, I think crucially, without having to actually change the APIs, you know, because it is a layer, you know, in front of it. Um, and and that's that's a massive benefit because the engineering time of reworking um, a, a, a tested and in production API is is could could be vastly expensive, you know. So this is a a solution to effectively uh, sit in front of that without any uh, potential any API changes as well. Yeah, and I guess um, you'll probably talk about it later, but if. If you've got, you know, a service that's doing internal, you know, like you said, there's internal services talking to the APIs and maybe now you want to expose some of it to, to another group of, of engineers, people, et cetera, then potentially it's a way to not have to re-engineer stuff in the back, in the back end, but you're moving, you know, the, the changes potentially or the, yeah, I suppose the changes into something in front potentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. And I uh, suppose so just to call out quickly, um, I did briefly mention it, but that's the what we're creating here are API. Um, we've got API gateways being created here, which effectively is the tooling that's allowing us to communicate with these various um, uh, APIs. Um, API management gives you a management plane, so it gives you a um, a web um, user interface in order to do the configuration and management. Um, of your um, API management instance or instances. Um, and you also get a level of documentation that can be generated for you. So um, documentation of APIs is is critically important for people uh, that consume those APIs to understand how they work and um, to reduce friction of adoption. Um, so uh, developer portals can be created um, to, to do that documentation. Nice. Um... Does it in, does it integrate with any other services in Azure? Like, you know, is it sort of first party? Is there any first party integrations with it? Yeah, so there's there's various different um, sort of key um, uh, developer um, sort of focused um, other developer focused Azure uh, products. You know, things like um, Key Vault. You know, for storing uh, certificates and secrets. Um, Azure Monitor is used for logging. Uh, application insights, which is all in the same family to add metrics and the ability to do end-to-end -end tracing uh, through it as well. Um, virtual networks, private endpoints, application uh, gateway. Um, so from that network level, we'll talk about that a little bit uh, more in depth uh, later on. Um, Azure Active Directory um, for that um, developer authentication and request authentication um, as well. Um, so there's, and what's also great as well is the first party integrations with API um, building, API building solutions inside of Azure, things like Azure Functions, Logic Apps, Web Apps, Service Fabric are tightly integrated with um, API management. So if you are building, you know, cloud first um, products and experiences, you're going to have a really good experience um, integrating with this system because it is yeah highly connected to those other um, systems. That's, that's quite interesting because it, you know, you could you're in effect saying that you could uh, front a logic app, um, you know, have a HTTPS like trigger on it, but not have to expose it or allow it from anywhere in the world 
sort of to trigger it, you can actually put it through something that can then authenticate and check that actually someone's allowed to as well. Well, I, I, I've, I've thought about um, if you, you know, like um, workflow-based logic apps, they, mm. you know, consumption ones don't have certain, um, certain niceties that you know the actual um, app service-based ones do. Um, you know, th- this could add a lot of that functionality. F- to you as a managed product in front of it if if that makes sense right so yeah. the logic app doesn't have to worry about its authentication and what's going on downstream you've effectively got a um a secure a security aware load balancer in front of it and a proxy if if that makes sense to um to to, to do all of that in front of it if, if if you so wish and to expose it securely yeah cool yeah, that's that's the scenario that I, I think I used it in or was about to use it in when I was um playing with it. Yeah. Was exposing it, you know, an HP request for it. So um yeah. So how how yeah, how how easy is it to, you know, set up API manager or to get it set up? Okay, so um what what you can do is if you've got a current API, um and if you're lucky enough <laughs> that it has an open API specification, which is a big assumption and if um you can go ahead and um uh, provide either a link to or a file of that specification and it will effectively import um the structure of your api um you know uh, instantly for you and help you with that documentation um now that is a big assumption because a, a a lot of you know uh, legacy apis um won't even even have that um so you can uh you can effectively build um manually and um mock out and build out your your api uh, and its documentation um via the, the the management portal so so even if even if you've got something completely bespoke that is still supported it's just gonna you know take you a little bit more time uh, to get to get onboarded with that um but on the flip side is if you are in that scenario but maybe you've got an api that's got you know a custom author authorization mechanism or some legacy you know um legacy endpoint that you're not 100% sure about you know it's it, you know how uh, secure and hardened it is uh, putting this in front of it is probably going to be top of your mind anyway so um and it's not if it's legacy let's say you've just inherited um a system that you've got to then take over um you might not want to make any changes to that api in terms of its business logic um because just you know it may be you're you're keeping it alive until it can be rebuilt or you know um but you want to consume it in a nice way um something like api management you can put in front of it and it'll it'll make your life um, a lot easier and no in theory um no code changes uh, as well Nice. Yeah, it definitely sounds when you were saying about if you're trying to keep something alive um, yeah. and you've inherited it and you don't, yeah, the risks in changing anything that you yeah. don't know, changing one thing, change, breaks something else, you know, yeah. Yeah, you might want to just get yourself to a um, a known, you know, a known safe security posture, right? You know, you've taken on, you don't know anything really about it, stick API management in front of it, and then at least you've got time to you know, uh, decide how you're going to handle that, that legacy code base, you know, cause a lot of the time it, it might need to be translated into a completely different language and, and, and different things like that. So it, it can take time. So, uh, and this, this is a, the configuration of a different product. So in theory, it's, it's not as invasive. Yeah. And I guess it would help with migration. If you're thinking about that, if you move to a new system, then the, the API sort of schema that everyone's used to could stay the same, but you changed the back end to re divert it to the new one kind of thing. Yeah. So, so it's a bit of a spoiler, but we're going to talk about transformations, but you, you, it is, you are able to translate APIs into different formats um, and do that as part of the service. Um, So it could be that, um, you work on some of that structure and that schema as you do this um, and then you use that. So anything that consumes that going forward 
will you know speak the new schema um, but you're still interfacing with that old legacy system so you can make developer experience downstream a lot nicer for everybody um, and then when you come to rewrite that um, that 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 legacy backend system um, you can simply implement that that schema that you've defined with those um, with those downstream users and then you know, your integration is going to be a lot more simplistic, you know, getting buy-in from those people to consume, you know, your new um, API um, is is hopefully going to be uh, more simplistic. I mean, we've only, I mean, we've only been talking, well, talk, only been talking for 25 minutes, but I'm seeing, I'm hearing loads of benefit to this, even with the small part we've like uncovered on this. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, what, what's, what's interesting is, is that when you, um i i know that you know in 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 the work that we we do now we don't really get involved in with that developer experience right but i've i've got first-hand experience of working with internal legacy microsystem based you know api driven backend office systems and some organization can have thousands of apis hundreds if not thousands of apis and we have we do see that a little bit um and loads of disparate teams. I know organizations that every single team is a different language because they've completely consumed all of the um, the technical stakeholders in their area. So they have to have, you know, a PHP team, a .NET team, a Golang team, because they just simply can't find enough people. So people build in that way. Um, we haven't really talked about it as well, but people also build cross-cloud, cross-environment. Mm. And this can also do that. It can peer into other environments. It's not particularly cheap, but we'll talk about it. But you can also, you know, a gateway on premise. You can gateway up, you know, external cloud and external provider as well uh, into this. So you can really have one singular um, management layer um, as well. Um, cool. I'm just going to quickly talk about products. So what what it's really doing is when you've when you've consumed um, and imported your API, you can then build a product um, to publish and expose um, those APIs to to people. This is where I was talking about you know deciding which APIs go into which products and who the, which products get um, exposed and published to you know which uh, user groups. Um, and effectively, um, I'm not going to go into too much because we have already been talking for 27 minutes. So I want to get through <laughs> all the rest of the features because it is it is great. Um, but um, what after it's published, um, developers can then uh, subscribe to those products to begin uh, using them. Um, I'll talk talk about that in a bit more depth um, later on. Um, I also just wanted to uh, mention as well, it's got a caching function uh, built in. That might not be that um, important to you because you might have downstream caching. We will talk about front door and CDN fronting as well, uh, but um, uh, caching can be enabled um inside of this as well to um to 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 help you with um reducing load on those um back end systems um as well okay so you mentioned that the api management can help with improving security um can you dive into that a little bit in, you know, into a little bit more depth because i know we talked about azure ad and things like that but yeah can you go into a bit more okay so um yeah, so let's talk about um, Azure Active Directory because um, effectively there's a, a, a strong integration with Azure, you know, AAD, um, and being able to um, effectively use um, AAD as your all um, authentication uh, or author, sorry, uh, your authorization in front of um, uh, API management. Now, I think we all understand how important Azure Active Directory is and how powerful it is from an authorization perspective and other controls that can be layered on top. Um, uh, so you're really getting the power of not just API management, but you're getting the power of Azure Active Directory sitting tightly integrated to this as well. You know, um, probably one of the most scariest things is being a developer is um, selecting and implementing an authorization system you know, um, a lot of people have built their own. Uh, a lot of people use like open source technology, which a lot of it is, it's perfectly fine. Um, but if those systems ever turn into legacy systems um, and they are not kept up to date, technical debt builds and they can't be moved on. Um, and you could get to a stage where migration, you know, you could have, you know, public CVEs, you can't migrate. So 
one of the good things is with integrating with a system like Azure Active Directory, you are knowing that it's at least backed by a company that makes money from Azure Active Directory, aka Microsoft. So you do give up some level of control with authorization, definitely, then that is a, a potential risk. Um, but the massive benefit that you're getting is, is you're plugging in, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of hundreds of years, if not thousands of years of development that have gone into um, Azure Active Directory. So that, that's really good. Um, you can also use Active Directory B2C. So if you've got a, um, a B2C sort of public facing uh, API, you've got um, uh, the ability to, to, to do that there. Um, I think is well, what is, um, what is worth, uh, understanding is it's not, um, security isn't just, um, on that side, like the consuming side, it's also on the, uh, the producing side. So when API management is talking to, um, APIs, um, there are, uh, ways to, um, actually do that backend authentication to those backend systems can be as simple as, um, uh, well, certs for both sides for con consumption and, uh, you know, the, the public facing side and the, the private side, uh, but also, you know, backing onto, um, OAuth, um, uh, schemes and, and more, um, bespoke backend authentication mechanisms. Yeah. Cause I think you can, um, put your own custom domain on, can't you? And then use, you know, certs that way for the, Correct. for the authentication of it so you can at least verify it yeah rather yeah, than just yeah. being the, the api manager.microsoft.com or whatever it is yeah yeah and you've got things i don't want to go too technical but there's there's you know shared there's there's you know uh transport layer certificates and then there's also um you know communication level certificates as well you know for consuming and um consuming both sides of those APIs. so that a uh, uh, because authorization can be very bespoke and there's lots of different ways of doing it. I suppose the, the point I'm trying to make is is pretty flexible in terms of authorization. So um, whatever the vast majority of use cases that I can think of are supported. Um, so that, that's a really po positive thing. So, so this is able to provide, so you may have an API that doesn't support authentication or is it a, a basic level? I say basic, but you know, maybe it's just a an API key or something like that that is you can't actually prove who the person is or anything like that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it might just be some sort of shared secret, like a certificate yeah. or a key of some sort. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then you can put you know, more advanced checking at that point with semi minimal sort of effort. It's, I suppose it can be complicated, but yeah, it's going to be on a use case um, yeah, perspective. Okay. I think the other thing to call out is if you do have more modern, if your producers, like your internal APIs are a lot more modern, maybe your OAuth 2, like converted um, consumption of those um, systems is going to be a doddle basically. So I think where, where you've got bespoke um, authorization is where it's going to add complexity uh, basically. Okay, is there any other security things it might do, like um, DDoS or anything like that? Okay, so yeah, um, there's 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 DDoS um, protection um, built in uh, as well. Um, that is a that is something that you can um, uh, add in uh, uh, to to your um, to your API uh, management, which is which is uh, really good. Um, and I suppose the only other one that um, I just wanted to uh, talk about is um, is uh, can uh, what they what they class as policies um, inside of API uh, management. Um, and I'm just going to give you some examples um, of that um, and what and what they can basically do. So what policies can do is they can set things like um, IP address limits, rate limiting. Um, they can strip potentially sensitive information. Um, so legacy APIs in their headers might um, broadcast um, the technology they're written in. Maybe you've got an internal header that you don't want to be exposed to certain people. Um, transformations can basically be put in place as like a, 
well, a, well, a transformation layer um, to, to, to maybe add functionality there. The way I like to think about it is kind of like conditional access in some way. Like that's how I kind of, it's not the same thing, but it kind of is. You basically build rules of what you want to happen um, and you, you build it in uh, inside of API management and it'll, it'll follow those rules um, and those policies that you've created. Okay, cool. So can you publish applications for others to consume? So, yeah, exactly. Um, you, is that, was that Google? I just heard. <laughs> yeah. It's on <laughs> silent, but it's managed to listen. <laughs> I love that. Um, so yeah, so, so we've briefly spoken about this. We've got the products and then um, from a product, um, a developer can effectively um, consume that product with a subscription um, to that product. Um, in essence, at that point, that developer is going to get the authorization um, access that they need, maybe an API key um, and other different ways of um, integrating. Um, and you can define the users that have access um, to that. Um, what you can then do is you can publish, um, you can effectively publish a developer portal for those developers to log in, to see the documentation that you've created and to get their um, their, their their access mechanism sorted um, to your to your API. You can also um, self-host that developer portal um, as well so that you can customize it like even further, basically, um, as well. Um, I did just want to call out a feature that I didn't even know existed because uh, what we do is <laughs> we basically um, use these technologies and then we we spend some time um, looking at any new features that have come out because we all know how quickly um, new functionality comes out with <laughs> Microsoft uh, products. Um, and um, API monetization is supported, which I think is incredible. So you can set up quotas and limits um, and things like that. Um, and you can actually get um, paid out with, um, there's a Stripe integration, for instance, there's another payment gateway as well, but I'd never heard of it, but um, I just called out Stripe integration as well. So if you do want to monetize um, these APIs, that is also supported as well. I assume that's in more of a B2C, it might be B2B, but like, you know, to a, a public sort of um, a public sort of audience. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's also a, yeah, an interesting use case for sure. Yeah, so I remember the quotas and things like that where you can say, oh, this user, this type of user has like so much, how many times they can call the API in X over a year or over a week or whatever sort of thing. But they never had any payment method as far as I was aware when I last looked at it. I mean, it was two and a bit years ago. So, I mean, a, lot, a lot's changed since then anyway. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, So, yeah, so I think... One thing just to call out on that is a lot of these um, transformations as well can be used for rate limiting, um, and you can you can effectively say because um, you might have a legacy system that can't be, maybe it's not got the resources, maybe it's on legacy hardware as well as software. Um, so you can set up rate limiting at, at various different scopes and levels. Um, and those policies, yeah, you can define it. It's insane uh, customization for for that sort of thing. Cool. So is there anything, have you, did you talk about front door integration with it? Oh yeah. Um, Azure front door. So yeah, that's, there's a, as you would expect, cause that's another Microsoft product, uh, a native integration there with front door. So if you are, especially if you're pub, uh, pub publishing a public um, uh, API and you do want um, uh, sort of pop presence around the world and sort of a more distributed um, caching mechanism as well. Um, front door is um, natively um, supported there as well. Obviously, front door also gives you more advanced, uh, does give you advanced firewall uh, uh, support as well at the edge. Um, so that's something that can be very valuable um, to developers um, as well. Um, you know, uh, traditionally, um, you know, uh, we, we've done uh, deployments of um, um, web applications that the interface through front door um but if you if you did have to manage them uh, a bit because you can you can connect your your apps directly to front door anyway without api management but if you do have lots of um apis to to manage and to restructure that's when you would then um sort of put api manager in between those two systems it would make sense too 
Okay, so you kind of talked about on-premise APIs. Is it um, is it easy to to get them hooked in? Okay, I'm going to sort of bundle this in with networking as well because it's kind of all the same sort of thing. So, so if you do have um, networking from on-premise into Azure, you're you're already going to be there because you know uh, it has. Um, not certain SKUs, and we'll talk about pricing at the end, <laughs> but certain uh, certain SKUs um, can uh, be attached to a VNet, um, and then you can get networking in that way, um, even with private endpoints as well. Um, but also, you can, there is a system, um, it's a Docker container, which is where you can run a self-hosted gateway, and you can manage that gateway via the Azure management um, interface using Arc. Um, on-prem okay so um what you can effectively do and we, this is kind of like the stack conversation that we had a few weeks ago is where you effectively run it on-prem and then that api gateway is automatically exposed to api management in the azure portal um, fully integrated for you um and and that what that allows you to do is it allows you to do that gateway activity on-prem or in those other environments before it even hits um, uh, Azure. And now, what that then allows you to do is those those on-premise or external APIs only need to be able to talk to that gateway, um, and that gateway then proxies um, the traffic up into Azure, yeah, up into Azure and out that way. Um, so it could be that you might have like. Um, let's say you had like a thousand um, private APIs in AWS, you might want to put a self-hosted gateway in AWS so that you don't need networking access into Azure for each one of them um, effectively. So you can gateway, you know, I'll call, I'll call it gateway at the edge if if, if that makes sense, like on, on premise. Yeah, you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't want it to um, go out to Azure and then come back just to do those calls in effect. I guess because you'll be fronting yeah, it in well. in Azure well, originally. It, 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 yeah, and that's a good point actually. It also depends where the the publishers of data and the consumers of data yeah. are, right? Because in your scenario there, you're thinking about consumers on the AWS side as well, right? You know, yeah. because yeah, because your consumers could be internal systems in different locations as well. So Correct, yeah, yeah, that's also um, that's also important. Cool. Okay, so. If you have large numbers of teams or APIs, how do you effectively collaborate? Yeah, okay. So, um, so yeah, so as we've spoken about already, um, you could have many different teams that are, are, are building together um, and are needing to collaborate. So what, what you can effectively do is you can build workspaces. I think it's a relatively new um, feature in, in API management. It's definitely new to me. Um, but but effectively, you can build workspaces so different teams can have effectively different RBAC models, um, but utilizing the same API management um, uh, platform. So they all build independently. They can all publish their products and, and what they're doing, um, but you can keep those teams siloed and segregated away from each other um, because you might have specific teams that work on you know, um, you, you might have need to know in your organization, you might have, you might want to keep your separate teams, um, uh, you know, um, and that, you know, descope their permissions models, basically, you know, you, you wouldn't want to give everyone access to every API potentially, you know, inside your organization. So, so that is also supported. So I guess before workspaces, if you wanted to keep that segregations in effect, they'd have to have their own API manager, basically. That's what to, I would to have do thought. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause you would, you'd be able to see all the products, wouldn't you? You know, you'd mm. be able to, you know, do, do all of that um, side of things. So, so yeah, so I sort of see it as a way to chop up API management yeah. into, you know, d different areas that can be um, used. And you, you buy those in packs of five, basically, those workspaces. So, okay. so it's quite interesting. I guess it, when we come to pricing, it, it kind of makes sense to, when you want some of those features, you might spend a lot and maybe you don't need the the throughput or there's loads of capacity there that you, yes. you know that multiple people could use and still be okay with it um but yeah in in without workspaces you'd have to and you want to to secure it um 
you know, secure it, um, you know, segregate it, you'd have to have different APIs, which cost like, you know, X times that, I guess. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that probably leads us quite nicely to pricing because um, you might want to chop it up because API management is, um, yeah, we'll talk about, let's talk about the pricing. So, um, so there's quite a few SKUs. Um, it's quite a few SKUs for API management. Um, the first level is, and the, the most one that's most different is a consumption based. So it's a serverless version of API management, uh, which is great because you, you only pay for what you consume. And I mean, you could get to a tipping point where that's not actually a good deal for you, but especially when you're starting out, um, that, that could be a way, um, I would say uh, f for me, um, the, the standout sort of drawbacks compared to the other tiers is you're on shared uh, infrastructure. Um, isolation is technically shared, not private. There are some usage limits as well. Um, but there's things like you can't have a developer portal. Um, you can't have multiple customized domain names. There's no Azure Active Directory in uh, implement, uh, integration. Um, there's no VNet support, obviously, because it's serverless, um, like other serverless products that we see, um, in, in Azure, um, there's no availability zone support and no multi-region deployment. I think that's also worth uh, mentioning as well, because we haven't really covered it is multi-region deployments. So in some of the more premium SKUs, you can deploy into multiple regions, um, and uh, have that failover, um, handled for you automatically and routing of a down region. So um, because API management is obviously going to be quite a core part, if you've got hundreds of APIs that are being consumed and, and um, published and consumed inside your organization, um, it's going to be part, uh, part of definitely part of your critical path. So that's um, quite important. You can't do things like workspaces um, either with um, consumption. Then the next set of tiers are effectively the same thing. Um, and these are all monthly paid um, SKUs at this point. Um, and you go all the way from developer through to basic to standard to premium. And then there's an isolated um, environment as well. Um, isolated is still in preview, so I'm not going to uh, talk about that um, uh, too much. But effectively, um, the further you go through those, the increased cost and the more features and um, functionality that you get. Uh, so developer is for non-production use. Um, in our money, £40 per month is a developer uh, level for that. Um, you can have an external cache. You can have a developer portal. You can have multiple custom domain names, uh, Azure Active Directory integration, uh, and virtual network support. Um, you, it is also possible to do a self-hosted gateway. We'll talk about the separate pricing for that as well, because that's definitely worth talking about. Um, and you can do things like workspaces as well. Um, and sort of Microsoft give an estimated sort of throughput that you're going to get from that. And that's 500 requests per second on the developer. But again, they don't really target that at production uses. Let's talk about production SKUs, currently three, not in preview. So you've got basic, standard, and premium. Basic is £120 a month. Standard is 557 And then premium is £2,270 per month. So as you can imagine, they're they ratchet up um, uh, relatively decently. Um, as you go through, um, you go from 50 megabytes of cache up to five gigabytes worth of cache. So if you are heavily utilizing caching, and that can, you know, a caching can really reduce your downstream costs as well. So that is something to, um, uh, to, to, to think about there. The SLA also increases. So basic gets you a, with developer, there's no SLA because it's not for production. Um, um, with, um, with, uh, basic, you get three nines and a half of, um, three nines and a half of SLA, same as standard, but then premium gets you four nines of, um, of it as well. Um, and it allows you to also premium also allows you to go to, uh, multi, um, region deployment. So you've got to go up to that 2,200 pound a month level to be able to scale out into, um, uh, different units, uh, different uh, regions, sorry. Um, uh, Azure Active Directory is not supported in the developer portal at the basic level, which I think is probably quite an important thing to, to call out. You're looking at that 557 pound a month middle 
standard one to get Azure Active Directory integration in the developer portal. So to basically put it behind auth, which I is probably, but I suppose the the part the thing with this whole this all all this pricing that I want to just put into context is if you're at the scale where you've got this amount of APIs that you have to manage, these numbers, they are expensive, but in order for the human cost of operating and managing these things, you could spend a lot more than any of these prices on just you know, um, human input to manage these things and also maintenance. So I, I do need to put that into perspective. Uh, basic is going to get you a thousand requests per second up to standard is going to get you two and a half thousand requests per second. And then premium is getting you 4,000 requests per second. Now, 4,000 requests per second is a, is a, a good amount of, <laughs> um, of API usage, you know, definitely. Yeah, it was probably probably worth mentioning as well, Sam, that all of these are, apart from sort of caching levels, are all based on one unit. And some of the SKUs can also have, can scale out so you can increase that load as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you're really, you could be amplifying these numbers um, as well. Um, I do just want to talk about that self-hosted gateway that I talked about. Um they are because they are effectively running a lot of this um this this code in those other environment you know this, this this processing in those environments and you're getting that integration um self-hosted gateways are 812 pounds per month uh, per gateway deployment so um you, you really have to think about whether a different solution to get connectivity into azure might actually be a better way of um of of um get doing the gateways of those um, private APIs, so that's something you need to th plan in your deployment. It's not going to be, you know, um, it's going to be on a case by case basis what the best way of um, architecting that solution is. Um, yeah, that, that looks like it's on top of the standard unit price, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and you've also got to put it on a box as well, so you've got to yeah. think about that uh, as well um the the only thing to call out on self-hosted gateways is, is is free of charge for the developer level so you can build get up and running validate before you start to incur um those types of costs yeah that that is one thing i did like about this was that the developer does give you quite a bit to get it to understand if it's you you know if it's useful and uh, get get pretty much get pretty much all your logic and your your policies and all your config pretty much done, and then yep. you just you just go because if I remember you can then just go into the back end and go oh I want now I want to go to premium and you yep. click you just change the tier click save it takes twenty minutes thirty minutes whilst it in effect re rebuilds it or moves you to that new SaaS or PaaS service to give you that throughput and etc. So then, you know, then give you that consumption, so you can you can easily move it from developer to to premium quite easily. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, workspaces, what we talked about, you know, different teams being able to collaborate with each other. Uh, currently free of charge um, up until September the first, twenty twenty three. Um, developer tier deployments are free of charge um, for for workspaces. I assume that will continue on past September first, twenty twenty three. But then you're you you get your first five work so you're only charged on standard premium and isolated deployments um and you get your first five free um and then if you want more on top of that you'll pay you have to buy a pack of five um and increments of five and you're you're looking at 81 pounds a month per per pack of five so yeah to enable that level of collaboration that isn't actually but it's effectively just a you know software ui change isn't it at that point more than anything else yeah it's still still good to get five though because you there's quite a lot to start with isn't it for, for yeah included it's, it's free but it's it's technically not it's included in your current yeah consumption of if, api manager and this this is what i think I, I want to really put back into perspective is if you've got more than five teams in your organization building apis then you know the amount of spend that you're paying on five teams right 
you've, you've probably got to think that a team is maybe a minimum of three people, right? So like the human costs of those teams and then, you know, um, orchestrating between them is, is not a, is not a trivial task, you know? Um, so, so this, this, so at small scale, API management might not make sense at all for you, which I totally agree with. Right. Um, I built many APIs that have never needed to connect into any other APIs or collaborate in that way. So this just, just isn't needed basically. Um, but if you are really looking at that publishing and that collaboration element, which a lot of organizations are, then this is a, this is a great solution to that, um, as well. And if you want to offload, if you want to offload all of your authorization, then this is a very good way of doing it across multiple different technology stacks. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you, Sam. Is there anything else you, you just thought of or anything around API Magic? Cause we're hitting 55, 50. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Six, I, so. I had to really, I, had, <laughs> um, we have a quick, um, we, we have a quick chat about, um, the episode before we start. And I said to Alan, I said that, there's there's so much that I wanted to talk about and I had to strip out so much because I was like it'd be like a three hour long episode. <laughs> um so it's it's a bit of a beast, but I I I really want to do an episode on it because I do really think it's 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 definitely powerful from a developer experience perspective. Um and um really putting it into perspective because a lot of people may see the cost and be very, you know, turned off um by that. Um but it, it really depends on the challenges that you're facing internally, you know, and, and I, I personally believe that API management um, can really help with, with some of those challenges. And I've seen those firsthand, which is why I'm sort of um, passionate about this, this product, because uh, rolling a similar solution as this, you know, um, internally can eat insane amounts of cost and time and, you know, attention, which is probably better spent on actually you know, building your software, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And like, even from my perspective, not coming from a, a, a well, coming from a loco no-co development perspective, you know, I've, when I was using it a couple of years ago, yes, it was, it seemed expensive for what we were trying to do, but I see a lot of value in it. And it's also just the, that onboarding process of getting, you know, external consumers to consume it. Yeah. Giving them the, you know, access to the API, giving them access to the documentation without having to worry about building it or updating it into documents and then releasing it. They can just go there and yeah. grab it. And like you said, versioning as well and things like that. Yeah, so. we didn't talk about versioning. I was just going to call that out because when you create a new version and you need to, you know, uh, distribute that to your users and, um, and and that documentation updates, that's just handled for you automatically in, in some sense, right? So there's there's so many other features and quick wins and quality of life improvements that I haven't even, uh, haven't even gone over. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe we need to do another episode to catch all those other bits or, yeah, or use bits, uses of yeah. it, but yeah, we've got pl <laughs> plenty of time to, uh, I say plenty of time, maybe not this season, but maybe next season. We can yeah, exactly. That, so. Definitely. Cool. Okay. So next episode is, I am going to talk about Azure Firewall and securing your, your your Azure networks and things like that. So it's, I think it's been out for a couple of years now, and I've seen some stuff being released from Microsoft Secure, I think, I can remember. Um, but, um, yeah, providing a firewall in Azure that is, in effect, SaaS. You don't have to worry about, you know, managing the software or anything like that, I think. I th well, I, I, you know, I'm not a networker, per se. I know, I know a lot about it, but... Um, <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely um uh, you know microsoft have applied you know a lot of SaaS and pass um capability to more traditional you know um networking and other product areas right so it makes sense for them to have their own um sort of you know nva firewall um they're ready to go but fully managed for you which is you know a, a positive thing yeah so yeah we'll talk about that next week Cool. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do consider subscribing if you'd like to listen to more of this sort of content in the future. Uh, we have many topics that we'd like to cover and your listens and support is what will continue to fuel the podcast going forward. If you 
uh, we, we've, get, we've got the ability for you to give us some feedback. Did you enjoy this episode? Disagree with our thoughts? Or did we miss something? Um, please use the form or the link to in the in the show notes to our, our site to, to give us some feedback. You can also give us a voice message in the bottom right corner. Um, and if, if we get some of those, we might do an episode on you know, re- reacting to them. So, but yeah. Great. Thanks very much, Alan. And um, thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Take care. See you next week.